Hey, everybody, this is John Forsland. You're listening to On the Board Sports. You can! Put it on the board! Yes! And welcome back to another edition of the On the Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, Will Trucci, a.k.a. Will C., coming to you from Long Island, New York. And we have a couple more days left in 2020, but our NHL preview is coming right up right now. And I am joined by a very special guest. Joining me is the one and only Trip Tracy from Fox Sports Carolinas. You know him best as the color analyst for the Carolina Hurricanes. Trip has called so many games over the course of his time with the Carolina Hurricanes, called some great playoff moments, especially recently uh, during the bubble and last year when they beat the Washington Capitals in seven games. We have him on right now. Tripp, thank you so much for coming on and talking some hockey with us. We really appreciate it. How are you making out today? Well, I'm doing well. How are things going? Uh, I'm in Michigan. How are things going over in Long Island? Where are you in Long Island? I am in Belmore, Nassau County, about... 10 minutes away from Nassau Coliseum, driving-wise. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yes. some, uh, oh, gosh, so many great memories uh, at the, both the Long Island Marriott and uh, the Nassau Coliseum. Going back to 1998 when I started Champion Sports Bar, I can tell you. <laughs> some great memories there. There was one night we got stranded after a game, a couple nights, games after, uh, you know, the Hurricanes and Islanders and, it's a special place, and you know, for the Hurricanes, I'm so happy to see uh, the Islanders back on Long Island, Will, but the last regular season, fact check me on this, but before they went over to Barclays, I think, I think we were in town for the last home opener, and I remember walking over to the morning skate, I think it was a back-to-back -back for the Hurricanes, and I walked over with like Rod Brindamore early, you know, just across the parking lot, and I mean, the Islander faithful were already boozing it up, digging in, getting ready at 10 o'clock in the morning. So for the Hurricanes to be there for that last home opener. And then I think we were there as well for one of the last games of that regular season. So those are just two of the spectacular memories being in that building. And I'm so happy that uh, the Islanders are back there and, you know, before they move into that new spectacular facility in the years to come. Yeah, at Belmont, at Belmont Park, for sure, UBS Arena is coming out nice. They say at the beginning of the 2021-2022 season, it's going to happen. And, you know, you mentioned uh, March 7th, 2020, uh, the last Islander home game at Nassau Coliseum with all the fans being there and everything like that. The I believe it was the Andrei Shvetchikov uh, high stick that they didn't call, and it wound up being Nino Niederreier, I believe that wound up getting the game-winning goal. I was, I've been to almost every game the past two years, so I definitely remember that moment specifically because it was the last game at Nassau. Say it ain't so, but it was definitely something that come down to the wire. And you were there calling the game with John Forslund, so it was definitely interesting to say the very least. It was so much fun. And, uh, I mean, just another – you make me think about you know, the, the balcony – where we called the game it was a little off center ice, you know, for the visiting television, um, but pretty much impossible to call a bad game there. If you call a bad game as a play-by-player, -player, in my case, color analyst in the NHL will, you stink because 
you're right on top of the ice, really. You know, it's, it's really unique and different from the vast majority of arenas in this day and age. Um, you know, you, you don't have the protection, you know, of a, of a typical television booth. So there's some mayhem, but I love it. Now, I remember at one point, because where I, as the analyst, where, where, where I sit during action, I have a, my telestrator and another monitor there. Then you have to scramble to get to our on-camera position. And I want to say at some point, I, I couldn't have knocked over my telestrator into it would be the lower bowl because that would have killed someone. But I knocked something over the railing and it hit a, an Islander fan. And whoever that was, I appreciate their patience with me because, you know, that came from vertically a pretty good distance. I remember seeing it go down in slow motion. I'm like, oh, my God, did this really just happen? Right. And the other thing is from a, from a nuts and bolts standpoint, um, you know, when the Hurricanes played a very good Islander team, after you mentioned that series against Washington, not this past season, but the season before, um, yeah, hey, listen, it was a four-game sweep for Carolina, but anybody on both teams would say that that was a, a very, very, very close series. And if the first two games hadn't been played at Barclays, no disrespect to Barclays, but if they're played at the Coliseum, I don't see any way the Carolinas getting out of there with a two nothing lead. So, um, you know, as good of a home ice advantage as there is in the NHL and you, you hope again um, down the road at Belmont uh, with that uh, state of the art facility, when they, we move over, they move over there with the great Islander fans, mm -hmm. then it'll be the same. Yes, absolutely. No doubt about it. And you know it, I know it. Islander fans are very loyal and faithful to the okay. blue and orange. So make no mistake. They're great. Uh, Trip, let's let's talk about you for a second here because you've been playing hockey for a long time beforehand. Before you became the Carolina Hurricanes color analyst, you went to Harvard. Talk to us about where the love for hockey began for you. Uh, well, I'm here in Michigan. You know, I'm going to head back to Carolina um, for training camp, and then you know the start of the season. Hurricanes actually open here against Detroit January 14th. But I grew up here and. Started playing hockey when I was six or seven years old. Um, I eventually ended up in goal uh, and then played junior hockey here. Um, I'm trying to think future Islanders. I mean, my one year in junior hockey, uh, our top three centers, Eric Lendros was never an Islander, but Brian Ralston uh, was. Then a guy named Pat Peak, who had his, his career cut short. Um, he was the Canadian Hockey League Player of the Year, Washington Capital first round pick. So, some really good teams here that I played junior hockey. Then I went to Harvard. I got drafted by the Flyers. Uh, Bobby Clark said after my, my four years at Harvard, you have a good college degree, get on with your life. I respected that, that candor. It hit me right between the eyes with rigorous honesty. Uh, I went to training camp uh, to, to earn a contract. I got one with the Hartford Whalers, but I played two years, just about every bit of it in the minors, in the American Hockey League, and the East Coast League. I got called up for a cup of coffee really more like a shot of espresso in the NHL. Um, but I did get to, you know, throw an NHL jersey on, which was, you know, a spectacular moment. My mom and dad were there. I then, uh, Pete Carmanis, who was the longtime owner of the, the Hurricanes, bought the Whalers and then moved them to Carolina. Uh, he, I knew Pete, uh, and he gave me the television job because he believed in, we, in me with no experience in 1998. So that's how I, I ended up um, being able to really – uh, I hope now, I hope Hurricanes fans would say, uh, and NHL fans, take advantage of a tremendous opportunity that Pete gave me. And gosh, that was 22 years ago, Will. Wow, that's amazing. We've had John Forslund on our podcast 
back in May, and he said it. You and, and John basically at the hip when the Carolina Hurricanes moved from Hartford. Have there been any, any moments that have stood out outside of the Stanley Cup when they won in 2006, the, the Hurricanes did? Have there been any moments that stood out for Trip Tracy? Calling games? <laughs> well, of course, Will, being the, you know, the Islander fan that you are, and, and John, John went to Hofstra, so calling games with him at the, against the Islanders at, uh, at NASA were always special. So now I'm thinking about memories through the years with him there. And I remember, it must have been like my first year in the league. And I mean, I just remember going to dinner at one point in downtown Garden City. And Bill Parcells was sitting right next to John and I. We were, you know, having a beer. And forget the name of the place. What a cool spot it was. And I was like, wow, this is pretty sweet. And I remember one night we called a game on Thanksgiving Eve against the Islanders. Then we were going to Boston for Thanksgiving. We had this inside joke involving roasted turkey. Anyway, it's a long story, but I, so I think about that with John uh, and some special, special memories uh, against the Islanders, period, and in particular in that building and in Nassau County because of, I mean, the, the way that the Islander fans bleed for their franchise. Uh, for the Hurricanes, uh, other than, you know, it was a pretty spectacular thing that, that the boys after game seven, Roddy Brindamore, Glenn Wesley, Brett Hedekin, list goes on and on and on. Mark Recchi, Doug Waite, uh, obviously, guy who ties the Island organization, invited us. And they really, we, did, we were like, come on, guys, the dressing room's for you after game seven. And they really gave us no choice. That was pretty cool for John and I and John's son, Matt, to be in the, the Hurricanes locker room after they beat the Edmonton Oilers in game seven. Uh, we were able to call a couple of uh, playoff series dramatic wins in 2002-2006 in um, – in Montreal, against Montreal, but some, some great wins in Montreal. Uh, I think about uh, 2009, what a game seven on the road. Um, Cam Ward playing spectacular, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with his idol and Marty Brodeur in game seven. Uh, the two Finns, Yoni Pitkin and finding UC Oaken in a tie of the game and think it was going overtime. Eric Stahl scored a beauty uh, to win that game in regulation. They went up and beat Boston on the road in a spectacular game seven. Scott Walker, his wife, Julie, had been diagnosed with cancer during the series. And, and that was another great moment with John. And then you mentioned that the game seven win after 10 years without the, without the playoffs in Washington um, was, was a memory I'll never forget, too. And, you know, we got to know each other so well, Will, for so many years that that you know I, I knew how he was thinking he knew how I was thinking um he's a, he's an elite elite play-by-play -play caller and it was just a lot of fun and thank you for making me think about these memories and I'm just scratching the surface and I know you you're right by JFK uh airport so I better land the plane and stop there <laughs> awesome man hey one day when Belmont comes definitely would like to meet you in person for sure you know but Right now, with everything stands, you talked about your favorite moments as a Carolina Hurricanes broadcaster with John Forslin. Let's talk about these Hurricanes right now. They came off of winning uh, a series against the Rangers, 3-0 in their qualifying round. You called it in, you know, in your Carolina studios uh, with Fox Sports. Uh, just talk to us about the, the Hurricanes in general Right now, where they stand, Rod Brindamore being their third-year head coach, going with this young nucleus with Sebastian Ajo, Taro Taravainen, 
and of course, Andre Shvetchikov, young stud. And they have a great defense, and you guys have a great core down there. Uh, talk to us about how the Carolina Hurricanes, what it, what it means to, for them. Well, again, a quick thought, you know, because you were mentioning Andre. Do you know it was a game at the Barclays Center? I, I remember it. It was a, a tough, tough memory because my, my father passed away on a Saturday right after Thanksgiving, and I knew he would have wanted me to call the game. And the Islanders trounced Carolina, so the game was at Barclays. Mm -hmm. That place was freezing, by the way. And uh, they were beating Carolina like 5 nothing or 5-1. Might have been the third period. And, and Andre, you know, he tried. He was a rookie. He tried the lacrosse move. And John looked at me during commercial. He's like, what the heck is he doing? And I, I told our producer, I asked our producer, because I, I can't tell him any. It's his call. He's the boss. I said, can you show me this replay coming out of break? And, and I said, look at what he's trying here. And I said, it takes a lot of belief in yourself. And, and John goes, where is this coming? And I said, don't worry, John. I'm going to go and I'll talk to Andre about it. And I remember, you know, the Islanders won that game big time. Mm -hmm. But I talked to Andre on the plane back. And I said, I loved it, Spetch. What the heck was that? I called my brother. I said, what was that, my brother? And he goes, <laughs> don't worry. I will score with that move. And, you know, as luck would have it, you know, the, the, the first one against Calgary was a game tying goal. In a game, they were down one nothing. Uh, David Riddick for for Calgary. I don't think they were going to beat him any other way. And then the next one, I think, was a game winner against Winnipeg. So they were big time goals for that move. But it all started for me, you know, when I observed it to the, for the first time again against the Islanders at the Barclays Center when it was un, when it was unsuccessful. You have a, a, I think, a tremendous young core for the Hurricanes, whether it be Spachnikov, Sebastian Ajo, continues to impress me every day. Uh, Table Teravainen is a terribly underrated player. I love watching him play every day. Um, Marty Natchez is a young, uh, young offensively dynamic player that should get better and better and more dynamic on both sides of the puck uh, each and every season. As good of a blue line, I'd like to think, God knows the Islanders have a good one, but as there is in the league when you're talking about Slave and you're talking about a healthy Brett Pesci, Dougie Hamilton is healthy, um, really was, was a Norris Trophy candidate before he broke his leg. Uh, last year, uh, Brady Shea, I thought, played very well, the former Ranger, in the bubble against the Rangers and then Boston. Um, and you look, you hope Jake Gardner will be more comfortable this year than he was in his first year as a Hurricane. Hayden Flurry came on. Uh, so you have a really deep blue line, and I'm not even getting into some other guys like a Jake Bean was the AHL defenseman of the year. Uh, the the goaltending, I, I think that's going to be the telltale. I thought it was better than people gave it credit for last year. I truly believe that. Uh, Peter Morozik, this is going to be his year where he, I think, is going to cement whether he is a top-tier platoon goaltending system, like, say, you've had with the Islanders, uh, with a Grice and a Varlamov uh, that the Hurricanes have had the last couple of years with Morozik and McElhaney and, and this past year, Morozik and, and uh, James Reimer. Is he one of those guys or is he a number one guy? We're going to find that out this year. I thought Reimer had, a, had an underrated year. So, but people still want to point to the goaltending in Carolina. Uh, and so this is the year where I, I think for Peter, you're going to recognize, is he a true number one? We're going to find out. I've always been a big fan of Peter's because of his high end when he's on his game, but he's got to find that mental and physical consistency. Um, Rod Brindamore is the straw that stirs the drink for this organization. I mean, I can remember the day he got traded for, you know, among other, you know, the, in that Keith Primo deal, 
and he's changed everything. He's been the most significant guy in franchise history by a mile or a couple of miles. Um, he, he's done all the work with regards to video and systematic uh, uh, preparation, you know, that, that he didn't like, I can tell you, because I know him so well as a player, um, to, to really go, you know, tit for tat with the big detail coaches in the league. But he has that, uh, that intangible that very few guys do in that he, he has been in every situation as a player. Uh, he's a tremendous human being. Players feel that. They relish that. Um, the Hurricanes, I think because Rod, you know, really had a lot to do with it and, and terrific on Don Waddell and, and, and a very active owner in Tom Dundon, um, that they didn't change a lot, um, you know, from the team that has now lost to Boston uh, in the last two consecutive postseasons. Right. And I like it because with this young core that I'm very, very bullish and optimistic about, let them learn these hard lessons together. Let them grow together uh, and, and then take the next step. Um, but what that does is it raises the bar. That next step is always more difficult. The one subtle little addition, uh, which I think is a very good one, uh, that I think people around the league took note of was that Jesper Faust, you know, is a, is a versatile player. Uh, he, you know, the, the greatest compliment you can get is that of your teammates. And he was voted the most popular player and best teammate with the Rangers for, it seemed like, every season. So I thought that was the one good, subtle little move in free agency. And then I would finally finish up by saying, you know, the Hurricanes just need, I'm going to pick three guys. They're going to have to contribute more than they did last year, uh, which all three guys are very capable of. And then all of a sudden, they're a much, much deeper uh, and more difficult team to contend with. And those three guys are Nito Niederreiter up front. Uh, if he could just double his goal scoring, get to 20 goals. Ryan Dezingle up front. Um, double his goal scoring, and then Jake Gardner improve his production and an all-around play on the back end. Those three players, it was a tough year. Uh, you know, two guys in free agency and Dezingle and Gardner and Nita Ryder, who had come over and played very, very well, right. um, getting Carolina to the playoffs. If those three guys can, can, you know, ratchet up their game a notch or two, then this team, if the young core continues to progress, stays healthy. I mean, this is a very, very good hockey club. Talk to us about the young court for a second, because outside of Aho and the first line, you mentioned a guy, Jake Bean. He's right now on the depth chart. He's almost like a Noah Dobson to the Islanders and an Adam Fox to the Rangers. Jake Bean, you said it. He was the AHL's top defenseman. Uh, just give us, a, give us a rundown on him and some of the other top prospects uh, coming out of the Carolina Hurricane system. Uh, well, Bean is the guy that's really challenging for me. Uh, to make the team, even with that deep blue line, uh, Will. And, and he's, he has made a believer out of me uh, since he was drafted. I'm going to tell you why. Um, because I saw for years, because the Hurricanes did not have the proper organizational depth, I saw first-round picks come in and make the team too soon. And I think it's stunted, really. I can think of a couple guys in particular, Zach Boychuk, taking a pick after Eric Carlson, uh, Ryan Murphy. These are guys that played too soon, and it impacted uh, their entire National Hockey League career or lack thereof, unfortunately. Um, so you get a guy like Jake Bean, you know, he hasn't been able to crack the lineup, and that's a good thing on a variety of different fronts. First of all, for development, it's outstanding. So he's go, he goes back to juniors, and now he's played a couple of years in the American Hockey League um, mm -hmm. where – you have to earn your way to the NHL. 
And now the only way that you can do that the right way is to be good enough and top heavy and deep enough and star like enough at the NHL level that, you know, a guy has to truly earn it to make it. Um, so Jake has, to his credit, especially last season, probably came in hoping and thinking that, uh, that, that he very well may and perhaps deserved to make the team. He didn't make the team. He spent, you know, the year uh, not feeling sorry for himself, learning what it's like to be a true pro and a leader at the American Hockey League level. On the ice, uh, the Hurricanes still have primarily lefties, and in particular, they did on the blue line when they lost Brett Pesci, who's as underrated of a guy as there is the league, and Dougie Hamilton, both righties. Uh, and now they lose uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk to Washington, a righty. Um, so Jake has become much more versatile and attractive to a coach because he can really play his offside uh, the right side of the ice as a lefty, I think, well, just as well as he can play his natural side. Um, but what I like most is here's a guy that has not had any, you know, woe is me. He's gone down and he's just continued to get better and better uh, in the American Hockey League. I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have been used when you were looking to create some jam and turn things around against the Boston Bruins. I understand why he wasn't. But I have lofty expectations for him. He has made, like I said, he's made a believer out of me in the way that he's conducted himself as a young pro. And he didn't make a great first impression with me. And now he's, you know, and that, that makes my, I'd like to think, um, you know, the complimentary uh, sense and, and feelings I have about him right now, hopefully that's, that's more meaningful. Uh, and, and that's the sign of a great organization is you can bring up guys when they're ready with their confidence and their play to make a difference in the NHL. So they expect it from themselves, and then your team is better off for it. In all of my years with the Hurricanes, the team that did it the best was Detroit. And Detroit, for many, many years, will lead the National Hockey League with the most number of average games played for an American Hockey League player before he made the jump to the NHL. Trip, talk to us about the the changing of the guard right now with the divisions in play right now. Carolina goes over to the Central Division instead of being in this Metropolitan Division now for only this year, and who knows what's going to happen in, in the years afterward. But Boston and Buffalo move over to the East while Carolina goes over to the Central along with Dallas. You're seeing a lot of mixing and matching in that Central Division. Talk to us about how the division align realignment is going to play for the Carolina Hurricanes? Well, on paper, you would say that it's an advantage. Um, and you look at the Hurricanes uh, last year in particular, I mean, they struggled mightily in the Metropolitan Division. Now, some of that, because they lost all the games against the Rangers, was, um, you know, whether it be uh, Henrik Lundqvist, who we're all thinking about right now and yes. wishing him well, or Igor Shosturkin, but Henrik Lundqvist played better against the Hurricanes than any team in his, in his future Hall of Fame-bound NHL career, and that we hope somehow isn't over yet And thinking about him. So in some ways, that, that Metropolitan poor record was not quite as poor as it was in, in, numerically, and, mm -hmm. you know, the numbers, you know, they don't lie, but, you know, I, I put an asterisk next to it, but, you know, the Hurricanes... I mean, you, you look at it right now, primarily the Metropolitan Division. Then you have a team that the Hurricanes have had a, a, a hell of a tough time with in Boston. Buffalo's going to break through at some point. Um, you know, Montreal's done some neat things. You know, but sorry, they're in the Canadian Division. Excuse me. But 
at the end of the day, Will, you know, that is a hardcore difficult division. So, you know, I, I definitely do think it potentially can be an advantage. But I also think, too, and I always get a great laugh of when I hear players or, you know, people in the media or whoever, pundits, talking about, well, so-and-so said there are no easy nights. Well, of course there are no easy nights. And that's the reality of the National Hockey League. That makes it great. Um, so, you know, here I am in Detroit. Had a, we know, like a, a particularly tough season last year. They stay healthy. They have an improved blue line if they get goaltending. This team plays fast. They could be a, a tough bout. Florida's, they're bound to take the next step at some point. Tampa's the Stanley Cup champions. How's Chicago going to come together after this very difficult news about future Hall of Famer Jonathan Tapes, who I know personally because of, uh, you know, a, a, through a dear friend in, in Islander, Andrew Ladd. Mm -hmm. Kirby Doc, you know, it's, you know, you, you know, you have Dallas, a finalist, and St. Louis a year removed from winning the Stanley Cup a team that uh, will never beat themselves in Columbus. Yes, I think looking at it, if Carolina plays the way that I believe they're capable of playing, is it, is it an easier division? No doubt about it. But there truly are no easy nights in the NHL, um, and it doesn't uh, make it any less paramount in a 56-game season where you don't have the uh, extent and sample size that the Hurricanes are going to have to hit the ground running. Because if there's anything that uh, I thought about going into the bubble, Will, and how about the Islanders, okay? You know, they did this as well. I know they didn't make it all the way. But who individually and collectively took advantage of the pause when you're not all together to use training camp just to dial it up and take it to the next level, not to actually get in shape like the old days. So I think that that's a variable that perhaps will favor uh, – the reality that the NHL is already a young man's league. So I think that these teams that you don't necessarily expect a ton from, to some degree, I think you can throw all that out the window starting on January 13th or 14th um, and in a pandemic scenario because you just don't know how guys individually and collectively in planets around the globe or countries across, across the globe have been utilizing this break. Right, and not only that too. Some some arenas won't even allow fans in them. So taking the fan element out with the crowd noise and everything like that, that's going to be tough as well. Uh, Trip, looking at it right now from the whole NHL perspective, right now, do you see any sort of sleeper team coming out of this 2020-2021 uh, season and basically wowing you uh, in this sense? If you have to look into your crystal ball right now. I, I, I'm not sold on Buffalo's goaltending, but I do think they're going to take the next step at some point. You know, they have a lot of tools there. Um, I, I really like the way the Montreal Canadiens played last year. I don't know if they'd be a sleeper because they did upset the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I don't think many people will expect an absolute ton from the Nashville Predators, but I, I sort of like their team. Um, I don't love their team, but I like their team just because I like their, their blue line. And obviously that's headlined by Roman Yossi and Norris Trophy winner. Mm -hmm. If they get, uh, if they get goaltending, um, th those would be my teams right there. I think so much of it is perception because, you know, I, at this time last year, 
everybody, not this time, because it's, it's, it's late December, but going into, you know, the beginning of last year's regular season, nobody expected a damn thing from Columbus. And I remember talking again, Rod, Rod and his coaching and his coaching staff and Johnny Tortorella did a brilliant job. They were still an excellent team without Panarin and Bobrovsky. I mean, they had depth in goaltending. I knew uh, Corpus Salo, Merslikens. I mean, I knew they were going to get goaltending. That's one of you know, and and I know that they play. They're so well conditioned. I was just talking to Zach Lorinsky today because he's from my hometown here. Love Zach about how hard their first couple of days of conditioning are. They're testing in a John Tortorella camp. No, it didn't surprise me one bit that Columbus surprised everybody last year. Not even a bit. Um, and I think Torts, although he denied this, but, you know, he relished that. He knew that they had a good team. But why not fly under the radar, you know, and F everybody, it's us against the world. Um, so I, there isn't anybody that really jumps out at me from that standpoint. Um, but I mentioned a couple of teams. Uh, another former Islander, I have, I, you know, he was just on my podcast. I have a soft spot for my man, Billy Guerin, uh, in Minnesota. I think their team is better than people give them credit for. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens there uh, when we start playing games. This is so interesting now because for the first time in really a long time, you might see a Canadian team in the Stanley Cup final. And the last time a Canadian team, not, well, the Montreal Canadiens won it in 1993, but that was the last time a team from Canada has won Lord Stanley's Cup. Would you be any sort of shocked at all if a team from Canada came out and, you know, won it all, especially this year? No, because there's going to be a team that has a one in four chance because they're going to, you know, they're going to get to the whatever you want to call it, usually your conference finals. Right. Um, and, you know, your last question, Will, you had me thinking about sleepers. Well, okay, let's go through it. Vancouver's no longer a sleeper with what they did with what they did in the bubble. Mm -hmm. uh, Calgary, you know, I love Markstrom. I love him. I, you know, and I, and I worry about free agency because the vast majority of times in free agency, I think it's fooled goal, fool's goal. You overpay for a guy that his best years are behind him. That's my opinion. Uh, and it, it, it can screw your salary cap for years. Okay. But I like Markstrom. Okay. So Calgary should only get better. Uh, Edmonton, Boy, it's uh, it's tough not having Clef Bomb. I'm a you know big Kenny Holland fan. You know, are they a sleeper? Are you a sleeper with Drysaitel and McDavid? I don't know. Uh, you know, Winnipeg. I thought Paul Maurice did a heck of a job last year, having his his blue line just decimated. Whether you talk about Truba, you talk about Bufflin. Um, you know, and those are just a couple of the names of guys that he lost. I mentioned to you Montreal being a potential sleeper. Ottawa, I don't think is a sleeper, but I do think that they're a much better team, much yes. better team. You know, yep. Matt Murray can play like Matt Murray's capable of playing. So could it be the year? You know, I, I, I do think that whenever a Canadian team wins again, it will be wonderful, um, wonderful for our game because it's been since the Montreal Canadiens won in 93 with Patrick Watt. Boy, another Islander, a dear friend of mine, and Kirk Muller, uh, playing for that hockey club. And, and if I look right through my phone here where we're zooming, I can look right across the lake here in uh, Gross Point, Michigan, and I can actually see Windsor on the other side. So wow. um, the, the more success Canadian teams have um, with what hockey means to the country of Canada, it's great for the National Hockey League. And 
finally, as far as we talked about the Canadian di- division, we talked about the East, we talked about the Central, the West. The West is kind of sort of somewhat wide open. You have all three California teams the first time since 95-96 that a California team did not make it to the playoffs. And with everything that has gone on, you got the Kings, they're young, they still have some of their Stanley Cup holdovers from years past. The Ducks still have some of their some of their key players from playoff runs and the Sharks. Who could ever forget about the Sharks with them right now? But at some point in time, and even the Knights too, with the Coyotes being in play, uh, talk to us about that West Division because some of those teams right now, they're young, but they're literally right there too in the thick of it. Well, I mean, the Golden Knights don't have any um, – they, they just don't have any clear-cut holes. I mean, they're a very well-built team. Again, you know, my podcast that I've enjoyed doing, digging in with Trip during this uh, pause, I, I had on a dear friend of mine. I mean, I think he's been an underrated builder of the game throughout his entire career. Uh, I'd spent some time again with the Islanders and George McPhee. Um, I mean, what they did to create magic and go into the finals their first year but now what they've done not to take a breath just to become a, an elite hockey team. I mean, they're just flat out. They're outstanding in all areas. And Pete DeBoer is a heck of a coach. Um, Rick Tockett, one of the great guys. I mean, one of the true great guys. Who are, the, are the Arizona Coyotes a team that, not to discredit, you know, what their building's like, because it's gotten, it's gotten much better, but without fans in the building and you don't have that home ice advantage. Are the Coyotes a team that uh, are a force to be reckoned with? Um, I'm sitting here racking my brain, thinking about the three California teams. And if I think that there's really one that could be that sleeper you mentioned several minutes ago um, and and be ready to take the next step. There isn't one that really grabs me, uh, but that's not to say that it it, it might not happen um, because they all have pieces. and, And again, you have such X factors um, with this particular season. I mean, Colorado is such a good team. Well, I mean, they are, they're fun to watch. Yes. Jared Bednar is a heck of a coach. Um, you know, they have every weapon uh, that you could potentially think of, um, mm-hmm. really at all positions. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, Colorado and, and Vegas, you have to, and that, and out west, you know, I know that, the avalanche in, the, in Colorado. But I mean, when you consider the West, that, that division, you have to absolutely say um, that, uh, and St. Louis, obviously in it. So you have to say that you have some of the true elite teams in the National Hockey League. And then you have some teams uh, out of that bunch. Is there going to be a sleeper in one of the feel-good stories in the league to emerge? Do you like the playoff format that's going on this year, basically giving it to the division, to, you know, the top four teams? Yeah, I think you got you have to you have to keep it fresh right now. You have to somehow make the most of this incredibly difficult time that we've all gone through. Um, you know, and gosh, you're in you're in Long Island. You know, you look across the you look across the water and you see Manhattan. I mean, New York has been inspirational in the way that the state has has, has, has gone about committing to doing the right thing with regards to COVID will, but right. I mean, this is, this is a difficult time and you have to, when you're a sport that relies on our great fans more than any of the other major sports with, you know, to, 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 to financially be profitable and, and, and stay alive when you don't have them, you have to do certain things that, that hopefully are going to be 
in the short term, uh, engaging, entertaining. Um, you know, it goes back to what I said again a few minutes ago. We started talking about Andre Svechnikov and the lacrosse move. There are some people that hated the lacrosse move. Right. It's entertaining. Uh, you know, in, in Carolina, I happen to like the surge for the first time I saw it because it's entertaining. When you actually can have fans, it connects the players with the fans. It's almost right. like the glass and the boards don't even exist. And with that, boy, do I ever wish him the best. But I remember the Islanders coming in and beating Carolina at one point, and Johnny Boychuk was doing the skull clap. Boy, I'll tell you what. You want to talk about a hockey player in Johnny Boychuk, one of the great guys, wishing him well. Yes. And that, you know, you know what? That's great if you have if you have this urge in a playoff series. I mean, if the Islanders had come in and beaten Carolina in one of those games, you know, a couple of years ago in the second round, hell, do a surge, <laughs> show up Carolina and their fans. It's great for the game. It's great for the game, and I'd like to think of myself as an old schooler. So for me to say that, like I, I you know, I remember first hearing about it. I mean, Don Cherry has been so good to me. He had me on in Game Seven. Uh, when Carolina, he and Ron McLean, when Carolina played Edmonton, you know, but, and he did Carolina a huge favor, calling him a bunch of jerks. But at the end of the day, it's great for the game. And so your original question about this particular format, whether it be the entire Canadian division, staying within your own division throughout the season and in the playoffs, hopefully developing some major league good type of hatred, I think that yes. Under the circumstances, it's the absolute right thing to do to try to grow our game. So when we return to normalcy, um, and whether some of these things stay the same or we get back to what was before, it will be better with regards to hockey making an argument uh, in the future, Will, that we can, who knows, leapfrog an NBA or leapfrog a major league baseball. You know, so I, I, I agree with it. And really at the end of the day, ideally in person, but on television or social media, it's about connecting with your fans and not having any barrier, um, you know, between the players and the fans. And I think hockey seems to have that clearly um, centered in everything that they do uh, between the players and the league. Obviously that there, there was, uh, I wasn't in the know, but uh, you know, there were some, there were some difficult times in getting back to playing in the last month or so, right. but the players in the, in the, the league have come together to do it. Let's hope it's a, it's a, it's a rousing success. Um, and it's all about growing the game and not being so old school. And I, again, think of myself as an old schooler, not being so old school that you're not willing to try new things um, to, to be able to, think about the future, take advantage of the present, and with so much to choose from, um, have people choose your game uh, when they're dealing with so much uh, and, and difficulty and challenges and stress. Choose your game, being hockey in the NHL, uh, when they relax and they turn on the TV. Awesome stuff right there, Trip. Trip, final two questions here for you. All-time Hurricanes and the David Ayers game. Can we please talk about the David Ayers game? We had John Forslund talking about it earlier on in, in May of this year. Talk to us about that moment and all-time hurricanes for you. Uh, well, for Dave Ayers, um, <laughs> it was uh, – boy, the hurricanes, they needed – first of all, they needed the game badly. Badly. 
Okay, they were right there, you know, with Toronto. The Islanders were scratching and clawing at that point, uh, whether it be in the division or the wild card. <laughs> and so they needed the game. And they played off the charts in the first half of the hockey game. And I think about it, Reimer went out early. And as soon as Mrazek, Kyle Clifford came down, I argue Peter and I are very close. We have a close personal relationship aside from our professional one. I personally think Kyle Clifford was just coming down to get to a loose puck. And Peter's a very good skater, very good skater. And I don't think Clifford thought he could get there in time. And so, boom, down goes Mrazek. And I'm, the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, how bad is Reimer hurt? Is there any chance? It turned out it was a groin injury. Is there any way he can come back and play? And as it turned out, he did have his gear on, ready to go. Things went poorly at the start of the third period. So in comes Dave Ayers. And it's not like he's coming in for three or four minutes, a mop-up dude. Okay, there's half the game or just less than half the game to play, whatever it was. So I remember for the, for the second half of the second period, I'm sitting there thinking of it as an analyst. Like, you know, like the Hurricanes have got to have this game. And then I sort of had a meeting with myself. Okay, so, so there's a power play because Clifford got a minor penalty for roughing it. Initially, it was a major. It was right to rescind it to a minor. And the Hurricane, so Ayers comes in. It's Hockey Night in Canada. And he just did something, simply came out and played a puck, reversed it behind the net. That was his first touch. And that impressed me under the circumstances because – the Hurricanes went up and scored on the power play that I think made it a two-goal lead, maybe. And so that settled me down. But the, the Leafs scored on their, their next two shots. So now it's tied. Uh, I believe, yeah, it was tied. And so then Ayers makes a save on Austin Powers late in the second period. I mean, it's Austin Powers that was a terrific save, even by an NHL goaltender. That would have given the Leafs the lead. Uh, and I, I know I heard about it because Dave Ayers, who is a tremendous personality, uh, and Warren Fogle was on top of him. This was late in the second period. And, uh, they're, and, and, and uh, Dave Ayers is like, Fogle's telling him, hey, Ayers, the puck's over here. You don't have it. You don't have it. And, and Ayers is going, where is it? Where is it? And, and, and so then he finally recognizes he's got it. And Fogle says to him, hey, you just stopped Austin Powers. Or not Austin, Austin Matthews, not Austin Powers. <laughs> and, Ayer, and, Dave, and Dave Ayers goes, well, I stop him in practice all the time because he skates and believe in practice. So, you know, hearing that after the fact, but what I was pretty cool. Um, and Dave Ayers, like, you know, he, he, you know, he thought about where guys went in practice and he made a couple of key saves in the third period. But what I did in the second intermission is I knew it was the anniversary of the miracle on ice. I knew that. So I almost had a meeting with myself before John and I went on camera and I said, Okay, take a step back. Don't treat this like a typical hockey game in the third period. Call it like a hockey game. But think about it, if, if the Hurricanes and Dave can pull this off, that this is a much bigger than hockey story, knowing that it was the anniversary. And so I treated it differently in my approach as an analyst in the third period. So I'm happy I did. Um, and then the Hurricanes got a couple early goals. And that, that helped to settle everybody down. But Dave still made a couple of quality, quality saves. Um, and it's just a marvelous story, period. Um, but then learning as we did as the third period went along and when we interviewed him after that he had been the recipient of a kidney from his mom that saved his life. And now I've gotten to know him very, very well. 
he's a friend. Again, he, we had a great session on the podcast. And he's just a guy's guy. He's a salt of the earth. He's an old schooler. Um, and that just, and he made his rounds in New York. That just made it a magical deal. Um, and then on the hockey side of things, I had so many former Hurricanes call me and say, that was one of the most impressive third period performances against a high-flying offensive Leafs team. Right. What, the way the Hurricanes played in front of Dave Ayers in the third period. The last thing I'll say on that is Nino Niederreiter, remember he did an interview in the second intermission. You know, it's now a tie game. You've given up the lead now on multiple occasions. You got, you got a guy that started the game having a hot dog, you know, in that, in a game you've got to have. And Nino just said, okay, we've got to play this way, and Dave will make the saves that he needs to make. And, I mean, that was pretty cool on Nino's part. Um, so that's everything that makes the game spectacular. Um, and just a phenomenal hockey story that I, I'm immensely privileged that, uh, that John and I happen to be a part of calling that game. As far as my all-time favorite Hurricanes, boy, there are so many, um, but, you know, I, that I've been able to be at this and see. Um, you know, I just – Roddy Brindamore just sent me a video, and he wanted – it was like pulling teeth to get it, but he just sent me a video of his son, Brooks, getting a pass from Justin Williams' daughter, Jade, they're playing on the same team, wow. that led to a beautiful three-zone goal. And that, I think, in a nutshell, typifies the good fortune that I've had, that I was even around a decent amount before mm -hmm. Rod and Justin had tremendous chemistry that they always played together. I think Justin would say that Rod was perhaps his favorite centerman of his career. I know Rod would say, that he never had better chemistry than he did with Justin Williams. And they're all world people. And for me personally, friends off the ice. You know, I look at some of the other guys through the years. There's just too many, to, too many to mention. You know, the Stanley Cup team, that's a special bond. Um, I used to go to early dinners on the road with, with Rod and Glenn Wesley, Brett Hedekin, uh, Ray Whitney. Um, you know, and that, that, type, that type of thing for broadcasting just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and under normal circumstances. And this young team uh, that, that beat Washington that we talked about, I really appreciated them and keeping me young, because now I'm in my late 40s. Um, and I appreciated the fact that I had been calling games of 10 years without the playoffs. So that team, uh, you know, that the vast majority of this team now rolling forward, uh, same contestants. Um, they're some of my all-time favorite Hurricanes. But if I really had to think about it, you're talking about Rob Brindamore, you're talking about Justin Williams. I hope that Cam Ward will have his number retired at some point. When he stops playing Eric Stahl, I can remember, you know, when he broke in as a teenager. These are guys that are particularly special to me. Trip, always a pleasure talking hockey with you. You're always welcome back on the show anytime. Before we go... How do the people follow Trip Tracy and how do the people listening to digging in with Trip? Well, well, I <laughs> well, I think you and I first hit it off on uh, on Frank Sinatra's birthday, the the legend of all legends times right. infinity. Um, but uh, you know, so I, I started a podcast and it's called Digging In with Trip. The reason that I came up with digging in is because I won't go into it into any particular names, but usually I'll roll through the coach's office because they're stressed before the game and they've done all their work, you know, 10, 15 minutes before warm up. And I'm going to interview a guy at the beginning of warm up. 
So I'll walk through the dressing room and I'll crack a joke to, you know, to Rod and Dean Chanel, another former Islander, great guy. Jeff Daniels was my captain in the American Hockey League. And I'll just, you know, just for a lighthearted moment, they've already done all their work. And if every team has a perimeter player or two, all right? So usually I'll crack them up. And then I, before I leave to go to the bench to do my interview, if it's one of those perimeter players, I'll say, don't worry, boys. I'm finishing this interview by telling so-and-so he better dig in tonight. <laughs> so I want to get that in his mind. Don't stay on the perimeter. Go to the hard areas. Stay in the hard areas. If there's adversity, don't give it, uh, use it as a reason for your game to fall apart. So that's how my podcast, the name of it, uh, you know, came together, Digging In With Trip. It's at Dig In Trip, uh, Trip with two Ps on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. I I'm loving Instagram. I like Trip Tracy on Twitter, but I'm at Tracy underscore Trip on Instagram. But it's, it applies to all areas of life. You know, it's, it's you know, are, do you think of the team before yourself? We all deal with adversity. I mean, my gosh, let's just look right now as we're taping this about Henrik Lundqvist right. and Jonathan Taves. I mean, it, we all we all at some point have our cross to bear and our challenge. Do you dig in at that fork in the road? Do you dig in or do you go the other way? And that's why, and I know when you put it out there, you know, I, I stood up in Andrew Ladd's wedding. I would never bet against that guy, never, because he always digs in. And, you know, so, I mean, I, and I, you know what? I always say, you know, like stay with the girl you went to the dance with, you know, it's another part of digging in is, Whoever your true friends are, you stay with those friends, no matter what, and uh, you dig in with them. So, you know, that's, that's how it all got going, and we've had some, some great shows, and I thank you for supporting it um, and qualification for it. I, I will never, ever, and I'll probably get in trouble for this, I will never have anybody on the show if I don't think he or she digs in. You have to, and there are many, many ways. And I start every show by asking the question, so-and-so, how do you define digging in? And you get all sorts of different answers. It's been primarily hockey, but we've done some other sports. My, my cousin, we're so proud of him, just got named the CEO of Ford Motor Company. You know, he's had to dig in to get to that spot. Right. So it's, it, it's been a lot of fun. And, and, um, and I thank you for your support of me. Anytime, Trip. Thank you so much for being the person that you are, not only just doing your podcast, but just being a great analyst and making the game not only worthwhile, but you're explaining it to the fans in, very easy, in a very easy way. So I really appreciate that uh, as a hockey fan, you know, you and John calling the games and, you know, with everything that's going on right now with Mr. Forsland, you know, Mike Maniscalco, going out there and doing the games now with you uh you know i just thank you for just being who you are as an analyst you know it's gonna it's, it's mike did a heck of a job heck of a job against boston and prior to that against the rangers and you know and you mentioned john um we know the uh the level of uh, the way that he's called games forever um and and something that he and i always talked about whether it be in the booth or um, you know, maybe if we were grabbing a beer or, you know, what I mentioned, you know, when we were on the island, we ran into Bill Parcells in Garden City. You know, we always stress to each other, be yourself, be yourself. And, um, and then the other thing is I thank you for, Will, for having me on. I was a goalie. And so I didn't really, I was a goalie, Will. And I, I really, you know, like most goaltenders, I didn't pay attention to 
you know, when the coach was talking about, you know, these, well, maybe D zone coverage, maybe, but neutral zone, forward checking, power play. Then I get the job as an analyst. I have to, one of my challenges is to try to understand those parts of the game as well as my comfort zone, which is goaltending. So for you to say that I explain it in a very simple way, uh, that means a lot to me. That's something I'm going to continue to focus on. And they're just great people in the game. Like, I mean, I could go on for eons. Butch Goring, my man. You know, Butch and I, he's a former head coach in the NHL. When I see Butch, um, you know, he, he helps to prepare me because he's one of the guys that I trust. I love the way that he sees the game. Um, and, you know, you have people around the league that you trust. And, uh, and, and, and so that helps me to plant some seeds. And then one thing I've learned, I'll prepare like I do, but I have no idea where the game's going to go. And, you know, it's a choose your own adventure. Last thing I'll say is be willing to take a chance. You think a guy's going, mention it. Uh, if you think that, you know, if the team's losing, but you see, you know, like, hey, this could turn around, be willing to have the, have the balls to take a chance um, and be yourself. And, you know, never, never force humor, but be yourself. Um, so, you know, coming from a great, uh, great historic, um, you know, hockey, hockey rich, and at one point, one of the greatest dynasties in the history of the National Hockey League place like Long Island, that compliment means a lot to me. And, um, I'm thrilled to see the Islanders now. They ain't a sleeper. So, um, you know, for you to say that, thank you very much. It's meaningful. Absolutely. I buy, I, I bought the NHL package and, you know, listening to John and you for the past couple of years, has been great. Having Brendan and Butch calling the games is also a great thing, but trip man, thank you so much for coming on to the on the board sports podcast, talking some hockey with us. And like I said before, you're always welcome back on to talk hockey anytime. Thank you, Will. Thank you. And uh, when we can travel again, uh, we'll be calling home the, the road games from home, but I look forward to uh, running into you at, uh, at the Coliseum, Belmont, um, or maybe that joint that, that John and I ran into Bill Parcells, uh, the big tuna, many moons ago. Right. And there was one time we died, you know, like I, I can't tell this complete story, but I can tell you, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to mention the coaching staff, great coaching staff for Carolina I was with, but I can tell you that we at champions at the Long Island Marriott, I didn't know Billy Smith. Didn't know him. I think this is the first time I ever met Billy. And uh, we didn't just shut down the bar together. We stayed, we stayed after the guy had connections, Billy Smith. And we stayed after, I mean, I was a goalie. I mean, it was Billy Smith telling stories, the old schooler that uh, he is. You know, those are just some of the memories that uh, in the great spot, uh, you know, Long Island uh, involving the Islander franchise. So thanks. No problem, Trip. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you sacrificing some time with us, talking Hurricanes, the NHL, and even the NHL preview for the 2021 season coming up. Thank you again throughout all of this. Really appreciate this, bud. You got it. Uh, Happy New Year, Will. I'll talk to you soon. Same to you. Same to you and your family. That right there was the one and only Trip Tracy from Fox Sports Carolinas and the color analyst for the Carolina Hurricanes. What a great episode, ladies and gentlemen. And not only that, 
just in general, talking hockey with a man that just basically knows how to talk it and makes it easy to watch the game and make it happen. So Trip Tracy, an absolute gentleman and a great, great act. Happy New Year to Trip. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to the listeners out there. And with everything going on, listen, these may be some bad times, but always believe, like Patrick Dowd, a.k.a. the Islanders sign guy says, always believe. Never know what might happen. On that note, for everybody from the On The Board Sports Podcast, for the aforementioned Trip Tracy, I am your host, William Trucci, logging out. We will talk to you guys soon. We hope you enjoyed this NHL preview. Peace out, stay safe, happy new year, and God bless you all. See you in 2021. Peace out.